So, any questions this morning? Yes, Prana. The book that I showed you, God is not one. The author talks about bhakti, not only from our tradition, but he speaks about other traditions that are somewhat devotional based. He'll say bhakti, and I'm wondering if um, throughout history, bhakti yoga has been what we understand it, how we think of bhakti yoga. Or if it's more um, just some kind of devotion to the gods, this god, that god. Can we, can we somehow own bhakti? I always thought we own bhakti in a fair sense. But it's not how that author took it. And I've seen it in other places as well. So I'm wondering if it's that we don't own bhakti in the strictest sense of it. It's an interesting question. And um, the answer, according to our tradition, is that there are many kinds of bhakti. Hmm? And um, that said, all of them have the um, unique a unique ingredient hmm, that is otherworldly. Whereas karma and gyan, karma means um, here, as I'm using it, fruitive action, acts that are performed and driven, result-driven. They're performed for the sake of the result. Hmm? And and the result is worldly. Hmm? And gyan, meaning knowledge, as understood in this context, is knowledge of the difference between the self that uh, the self and matter hmm? um, that which we are that extends beyond our human uh, condition karma and gyan karma then of course, these are uh, Sanskrit terms from the Hindu tradition, but they have their cross-cultural kind of application where they show up under different names um, and just very, in a rudimentary sense, of course, we have religious uh, pursuits um, that are fruitive in nature, that seek to um, enhance the human condition materially. And I should say also, uh, when I say karma, I'm referring to a path. 
of of um, of a religious nature, hmm? rather than karma could be any action that is uh, uh, in pursuit of material acquisition and so forth. Um, so karma has a path for a spiritual path, right? And then um, um, so. Uh, both of these karma and jnana, the way in which we would talk about them, say cross-culturally to other religious traditions and so forth, would be the what I refer to sometimes as a religious orientation to a tradition as opposed to a mystical orientation to a tradition. So you have people who are religiously involved in Christianity or in Islam, for example, or in in Buddhism as well, and then you have people who are mystically involved in pursuit of immediate uh, experience and um, and uh, a pursuit that, that is probably more uh, that it is it has, has greater acquaintance with the ground, the philosophical ground of the tradition, and. And it's thus, uh, you know, pursuing what what can come out of that soil, in the fullest sense of the term, hmm? which, within within the mystic orientation, is the self, the self, soul, the atma, consciousness proper, and so forth, as it may be referred to. So, so you can see how these. Um, Pursuits, karma and jnana, show up everywhere, right? Um, that said, um, from the Hindu perspective or the perspective of, of Vedanta within Hinduism, um, karma is this movement that is governed by what we call the Rajaguna, the mode of fashion, which is arises in the psyche, as we were speaking last night, as a sense of um, uh, discontent. Discontent causes action. Uh, you're discontent, so you want to do something about it. So it's the movement influence um, of, um, of material nature that, that has... In the two division, you have the psychic division and the physical division of matter in the uh, Vedanta yogic world view. So the, re- the spiritual, if you will, or religious orientation that constitutes the path of karma as it appears in different traditions is one that's uh, driven by the uh, material discontent in pursuit of Overcoming the material discontent by material arrangements, which is not a good idea. Uh, by, for example, acquisition, changing your house, going to a different planet, uh, whatever may be the, be the case, with the help of of God, right? So that's the kind of broader religious orientation you find um, everywhere. Hmm. So that, f- from our um, Hindu perspective is a is a Rajaguna driven path. It doesn't make it bad, 
um, it's it's God is heavily factored into the picture, um, which obviously gives it some transcendent trajectory in a remote sense, even though for the most part that's not the immediate uh, concern or often even what's what's prayed for in some of the traditions that as it as it manifests even in hinduism where it's very very clearly i think more clearly than in other traditions emphasized uh that 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 the that there's a further goal within uh the religious uh, pursuit of, of karma that is moksha, and there, there are so many mystics. There's a heavy, you know, in Christianity, you've got, you know, a few um, within Catholicism, and um, uh, and um, in, uh, in Islam, you've got, I guess, the Sufis and so forth. But even the, tradi- the religious people are often against the mystics in their own own tradition, and the Jews crucified the, the Jesus, and and so on and so forth. You don't have a lot of that going on in Hinduism, but there, but there, where this mysticism is more like understood from the get-go to be part of the tradition. Still, there is some resistance to it. So you want your son and daughter to be good religious, but not fanatics, <laughs> not go off to the Himalayas for God's sake. That would be a disaster. Uh, so. Um, so what I'm saying is that because it's primarily uh, Rajaguna, the mode of passion-driven religious orientation, um, the um, it's very it tends to be worldly, even though there's a transcendent kind of influence, and that we bring God into the picture for that purpose, primarily. Um, so then. You, know, you go to the gyan, and gyan here means again the the knowledge in the full sense of the term um, means the knowledge of the difference between consciousness and matter. <clears throat> That's what matters, and that then is driven by the sattvaguna, hmm? the the mode of witness or the psychic as it manifests in the psychic sense of contentment. You have this contentment, discontent, and um, and, and delusion. So, sattva, rajas, tamas. And then it manifests in a physical matter um, as well. These are the most subtle, subtle underpinnings of what's out there, so to speak, as we understand it from, 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 from Vedanta. Mm. So both of these, I have to talk about these to talk about bhakti. So that's what your question's about. So that's just me. <laughs> Forgive me for that. So, so bhakti, as I said, in all of its forms, of which there are many, as explained by Rupa Goswami. So you're talking about our idea of bhakti. It's quite broad. It it um, includes many many varieties, but all of the variety varieties, excuse me, all of the varieties have a a tra- a transcendent um, uh, influence, uh, an otherworldly influence that m- means 
the internal uh, um, that which makes God's world go round, so to speak. We call it the the, uh, the uh, Swarup Shakti, the internal potency of Krishna. Radha, for example, is the embodiment of that bhakti that Krishna, as the object of her love, corresponds with. They're one and and different. And in every devotee, in every um, form of bhakti, there's a little radha in, in, wherever the bhakti is. She is bhakti devi, the goddess of bhakti. So I'm differentiating, as you can see, between karma and jnana and these orientations to the Godhead and bhakti by explaining that the first two are worldly influences. They're driven by worldly influences. Even even knowledge of the Atma hmm, unto itself and experience of the Atma unto itself is not sufficient to take one from this world to the other side. We need help from the other side. And bhakti is of a, a different nature. So we have a Rajaguna-driven perspective, a, 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 a Sattva-guna-driven perspective, and a Nirguna. Nirguna means beyond the, the, the influences of material nature influence, kind of a, a grace, if you will. Hmm? So, uh, is uh, that said, um, is there bhakti in other traditions? Well, um, as much as the tradition is grace-dependent in its um, orientation and thinking and so forth, then using different terminology, uh, grace, mercy, uh, then arguably we're talking about the need for something from that side, from the Godhead side, to come to our side. If we want to know about God, it will have to be on God's terms, something like that, the unknown and unknowable. Uh, if the finite wants to know the infinite, what is the possibility for the finite to understand the infinite? Uh, it's only possible if the infinite, out of its infinite capacity, wants to reveal itself to the finite, otherwise it would be mathematically uh, impossible. Hmm? So because of its infinite Capability, it, it can perfection can make itself known to the imperfect, but perfection will never be known, arise uh, itself out of imperfection. Hmm. So, uh, so there are, I think, uh, uh, other um, spiritual and religious traditions that acknowledge the this requirement of grace, which which is again, it's like. It's uh, it's not a hard-fought thing, <laughs> if you will. It's it's not an effort-based thing. Um, from a from a from a judicial point of view, we, we, the mercy is the overriding of the law of the justice. It has to come from somewhere else. I told a story before. Uh, 
some of you have heard it young in my uh, some of, some years ago there was a god brother of mine a disciple of Prabhupada who showed up at my door at an ashram that I was uh, presiding over and I hadn't seen him for decades and I looked and thought is that who that I think that is and and sure enough it was and so I took him in and helped him out so he'd been obviously distracted um, by the influence of the world and so forth and as I was helping him and so forth he um, um, let me know that he had a court case coming up in a couple of months for something that he had done I forget what it was and uh, it was potentially the results of it could have disconnected him from the association and incarcerated him and, and so forth. So so anyway, anyway, I worked with him and then the court date came and so I went to court with him dressed as a sannyasi and so forth. And, and uh, I, you know, he had a court-appointed attorney, couldn't afford attorney and, and the uh, prosecution made their, their case and the... Uh, the court-appointed attorney, he like went to sleep, you know, practically it would seem. So he really had nothing to to say. And it was clear what the verdict was going to be. And it was a question of the sentencing that the judge was going to come down with. It wasn't a jury trial. So, but the judge lets looking at me, you know. And he, so he said, okay, the arguments are all in. Does anybody here have anything else to say? <laughs> he thought, well, maybe this guy has some, obviously they're connected, you know. So then I got up and I said, Your Honor, from the arguments, it's clear that so-and-so is guilty. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so on and so forth. I forget the details. Then I said, but I, you know, he's been under my care and so on and so forth for some time and I can vouch for him and I would, I would say that by the, by the rule of justice he should go to jail, but um, the mercy is something that it takes the opportunity on occasion to override the justice, and we have to have both. You cannot have mercy without justice. You cannot have justice. Um, well, you can't have. For there to be mercy, there has to be justice. But there is mercy, and it can override justice. Something like that. So the judge let him go under my care. Something like that. So, um, so anyway, karma is the law of mercy. Is uh, is, is uh, is a divine intervention. So there are traditions that are um, um, more than more or less centered on that. I think Christianity tends to be like a, a, you know, a, a mercy type of a, uh, orientation. And so in a broad sense we can say as much as the means for uh, uniting with or um, Coming into contact, uh, unifying with the the absolute, is one that is sort of speak on his terms and by his by his power that we're able to somehow attract. Um, um, then that's bhakti. Hmm? The point is that bhakti is not. Well, there's two aspects to bhakti. That said, so there is some effort in bhakti, and most of you are feeling that probably there's more effort than there is mercy. <laughs> so, 
but that's in the beginning. Um, but it's mercy that we have the opportunity, and if we understand it properly, then we feel, you know, we wouldn't be able to pursue this great ideal if it weren't for grace of good association and so on and so forth. So, so we make the effort, and as you make the effort and we get the results, which is more grace, if you will, then the feeling is that the effort was insignificant. It doesn't compare to the reciprocation when it comes, when we get some 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 taste of that, and so forth, and um, and so in the full sense, the full measure of the experience, the effort is is uh, the fact that it's. There's an effort aspect to it is is lost entirely. They say that you know, the labor of 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 of, of love is is such that uh, there's there's no labor perceived involved by the person uh, engaged in such a labor. While we look from the other side, we go, it takes a lot to take care of those kids. Holy cow, you know, <laughs> uh, and so forth. But it's labor of love, so the labor is lost. So. So we make an effort to get grace. That is our effort. That's very different than than kind of climbing your way out or trying to of the material maze, if you will. In the Gita, Krishna says, "Mama Maya Durateya, Mami Bhagi Prapadyante Maya Metam Tarantite." He says, "My Maya is insurmountable. Can't get can't get out. <laughs> you don't." It's not possible. When I make a maze, so to speak, you know, then you, there's no, you you can't un- find the way out. But if I um, let you out, then obviously it's it's very easy, and I'm willing to do that. If you, so to speak, uh, take shelter of me, then it's very easy to get out. Is the idea? So there is effort in bhakti. The the, the famous uh, example of this is in the Damodar Leela, where Damodar Dhamma means, uh, Udara means belly, and Dhamma means rope. So Krishna's belly is bound by the rope in this Leela, and uh, because he's been mischievous. And so his mother, Yashoda, tries to uh, tie him up, and in the effort, her effort to do so, she finds that the rope, she took a ribbon from her hair to catch him and bind him, but the ribbon was two inches too short. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, previous days, the neighboring ladies had been complaining to Mother Yasoda that your son is coming to our house and stealing butter and yogurt and and uh, giving it to monkeys and and creating a lot of mischief and so forth. And of course, Yasoda is in denial of all of this. And for every reason, for every complaint, she has some reasoning that she comes back with. And you know, she says, "Well, why don't you keep your yogurt up high and you know." And, you know, in 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 the dark. Well, it doesn't matter. He's effulgent. He sees it. You know, and he climbs on a friend's shoulders, and so, so they give. Anyway, it's a beautiful um, aspect of uh, this uh, parental love for Krishna. But when she's tying him up, then the neighboring ladies are looking over the wall and and saying, "See, you know, we told you." But but now they're throwing rope over to her. You know, because the cowherd people they always have rope for. For tying the cows um, and so forth, so she she attaches it to the ribbon, and but every time it's two inches too short, it's two inches too short. So she's making an effort, but the effort in itself is insufficient. So it can make up one of the inches that are missing, and the grace makes up the other. So these are the two inches 
that are short. So she made the effort, and then Krishna saw the efforts, and and he was moved by her effort, and um, he stowed his grace. Not that the um, so both things are there. Hmm? Um, um, and so wherever there's a tradition where grace is prominent or an, 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 uh, an aspect of the tradition, you know, we can say that bhakti's there. But my point is that bhakti is not just this effort-based thing that arises out of material conditioning. It's our response to a transcendental uh, dispensation, if you will. A response, to, I've given an example before. If you're in a, let's say you're in the forest and you fall accidentally into a dry old well so you've gone down so many feet and how will you get out the walls are you know um, smooth and so how can you get out Will you have to yell help right and if by good fortune someone happens to come by then they can throw the rope to you and then you hold on to the rope and they pull you out so you have to make the effort to hold on to the rope but when you get to the top you don't say well I sure held that rope pretty good didn't I you don't think like that you think oh you know thank you you know you saved me and and so forth Um, so there's effort but um, the effort in one sense is help (laughs) you know we put the two hands up like help like this um, the, the story in the Mahabharata is of Draupadi, who the, 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 the wife of the Pandavas, who had Sakyarasa for Krishna. Um, and she's being disrobed by the opposition to the Pandavas. Um, and and she's, so she's holding on to her sari as they try to pull it off in, in public. And... and with the other hand, she reaches up and calls out the name of Govinda, but this, but it's not working. So the sari is unraveling. So she realizes there's nothing I can do here. So she puts both hands up and calls Govinda, and suddenly her sari has, is unlimited, and they, they keep they can't they can't uh, commit the uh, the um, act that they um, sought to commit and uh, embarrass her and so forth. So. So both hands up. So this is the effort. This is very different than, you know, you can see the, the effort based of the, of the yoga postures, um, asan, pranayam. It's a system. It's a, it's a technical system. It's a very sophisticated technical system for experiencing and demonstrating that consciousness is separate from matter, that the purusha is separate from prakriti. But it's extremely... Um, effort uh, based and gyan the yoga is kind of well yoga gyan is similar you you it's it's yeah, you've got to really be um super uh introspective if you will and on the basis of that introspection then be able to f- function accordingly that's why you have to have a clean heart because you can make the introspection but if the heart's not clean then you know you're going to say, yeah, but, you know, and the, the force of your desires is going to take you contrary to that which you can, that epiphany that you might gather by um, by contemplative 
introspection, the, the insight that might come. But when the insight comes and the heart has been purified, so then then it can turn into dhyan, into meditation and so forth. But this this is very different. See, these are very effort uh, based and uh, th- different than the effort in bhakti, which again is help. You know, like you, you made some effort, but it's it's it doesn't appear as such. It appears as a weakness rather than a strength. Hmm. But if you understand the strength of the predicament, the, the, of, the, of the confines, of the, the, the maze of, of material existence and the karmic implications for, from anadi, from a time without beginning, then you're going to put your hands up <laughs> and say help. So, so, uh, so I want to distinguish in this way bhakti from what we might say is, well, you've got to have devotion to be successful in anything. You've got to devote yourself. You've got to dedicate yourself to um, your sport, right? He's very dedicated to, to his sport, and he's good at it. But that's not bhakti because there's no other worldly ingredient involved in the picture. Hmm? So we would distinguish in that way from a very generic kind of understanding of the term bhakti hmm? and um, but otherwise you can look at other traditions as some type of bhakti influenced tradition and our thinking of course uh, according to the, the Hindu sacred text is that that, the, that bhakti is such that um, that without a touch of bhakti even the effort in karma to get better material results, to go to a heavenly abode or something, you're not going to be successful. That's why within the karma marg, there's a little bit of, um, how you say, um, srup bhakti. Like in the karma marg in Varnashram, you worship all the gods and goddesses for whatever. There's a god for everything. There's a goddess for everything else. And uh, you've got to worship in this time of day in this way and so forth. And it's a... It's actually a beautiful system because it's uh, it's one that you um, acknowledge your dependence upon on nature in order to proceed in life. A simple example: if you have want to see, you need light. Hmm. So you don't we don't produce light. I mean, the sun comes up of its own accord, right? Um, for example, so to honor that and acknowledge my dependence. And that way, we kind of um, we, we we move away from a sense that we are an independent entity, and we say that we are interconnected and dependent, and we have a source. And connecting with that will uh, uh, enable us to understand the fullness of our uh, utilization and purpose, and and so forth. So, uh, so at any rate. Inside of the Varnashram system, the Karma Marg, you have the worship of all these gods and goddesses. And Vishnu's in there too. <laughs> and so, but Vishnu's different than the gods and goddesses, right? As he says in the Bhagavad Gita, their ability to bestow any benediction is dependent upon, upon me. They are just really phases, partial 
uh, manifestations of some aspect of myself. Yadvad bimuti mat sattvam srimadujitam evava tattam evav gachatam mamatejosmi sambhava. The whole of the material existence, all the powerful influences, this is just ekam senastito jagat. I'm quoting the end of the tenth chapter of the Gita where Krishna speaks about his material nature in terms of its powerful influences and and how they are, um, in, in a sense, embodiments of him of himself. Um, so uh, he says the whole thing is just a spark of my splendor. Ekamsena, it, it, it comes from my amsa, my one amsa, Vishnu, Mahavishnu. Hmm? He's just my kalamsa, amsa anyway, partial manifestation. The whole show of material existence is coming from him. Um, so, um, so, what is the point? So, at any rate, the, within the, within the Varnashram, Vishnu's position is different than the other gods and goddesses, and it's kind of built in. I don't need Vishnu, say Vishnu, but this is um, um, kind of a hidden way in, in which the karma marg makes the whole path efficacious by bringing Vishnu into the picture, unbeknownst to many of the people who participate, really. Hmm? Um, that's why it can be said in a very remote way that karma can be causal of bhakti. Hmm? But it's really not saying that. Because there's a little bhakti in karma, and that's the that's what gives the bhakti. Bhakti gives the bhakti. Bhakti asanjataya bhakti. Only bhakti can give bhakti. But in the karma context of the karma marg, hmm, you pick up a little bit of bhakti, and then it grows from there, or something like that. Then we go to to um, gyan. Of course, you can you can realize the self hmm, um, to be different than the body. But that doesn't guarantee that you won't um, that you'll attain um, mukti. So self-realization is is one thing. Brahman realization is is another thing. They're not the same. Atman, Atmananda and Brahmananda are similar, but they're different. Therefore, Sanatana Goswami says in in Brihad Bhagavatamrita that after laboring to emphasize the importance of bhakti over jnana, of, of love over knowledge. Hmm? Not a hard argument to make, right? But um, he makes a strong one there. He Then he, he admits at a certain point, he says, but, I mean, it's true, you could arrive at Atmananda, to experience the, the, the measure of bliss that is contained within the Atma without bhakti. He said, "But, but who cares? It's it's of no it's of little consequence. It's uh, that in itself is not going to that is the kind of the penultimate state in the pursuit of mukti. So if you can get to the penultimate state, it may sound like you're getting pretty close. But if you can't go from there to the ultimate, then it's just you might as well not start it at all. Practically, is his uh, perspective. Hmm? You understand?" If you can get to the step, just to the one step before the, yeah, you get to Atmananda. Now you got to go to from 
not being at all implicated in material life. Jivan Mukta, the karma's finished. You're liberated in this life. You have just one step to go now. There's nothing on this side holding you back. But you don't. You've got a passport. You can leave. You, 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 well, you, you you can leave, but but you only if you have a visa. <laughs> There's no visa. Sorry, the immigration laws are pretty strict up there. <laughs> they, <laughs> they do give out visas. Uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was giving them everywhere. Uh, so it's a very generous uh, policy. Uh, but but you need the visa, nonetheless. So that, so without the visa, without Bhakti without grace, just by effort, I cannot go there. So he says, "It's yes, it's true." And so says, see, see, you can get self-realization without bhakti. He says, "So what? <laughs> so what if you if you reach the penultimate state, but you can't go to the final destination? You might as well have been at the first step of the ladder, right?" Mm-hmm. And um, and then there's and then if you don't have the influence of bhakti, there's every chance, and and in most cases, this is what we find. There's a fence committed to bhakti. Hmm? And though then now you're really in trouble. You insulted the 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 the, uh, the um, embassy, hmm? and they say, "Well, come back tomorrow. <laughs> Make that Monday. <laughs> you know, we'll see." <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, so. What happens in the Gyanmark then, which is sattvic, is that the sattva guna is very, very, you know, there's subtle, 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 refined material influence. So our whole antakaran, subtle body, is constituted of this very refined form of matter, psychic matter, sattva. The nature of that matter is that it's different from the physical matter in that it can reflect consciousness hmm? and therefore it has a quasi subjective um, um, way of uh, a functioning it's not like purely subjective um, um, uh, for the most part our antakarna or our mind intelligence is fixated on gross matter hmm? so that's, that's that's a problem. Of course, you can now use the mind in yoga to, in another way, to become your friend rather than your enemy. But, but the, it's the mediating, the mediating between pure consciousness of the atma and physical matter, is this subtle matter, and it's constituted of sattva. Hmm? So, point I'm making only is that sattva has this capacity to reflect consciousness, and and bhakti is, of course, different in a sense than. Um, than what the Atma is constituted of. The Atma is constituted of Tatasta Shakti, hmm? and and Bhakti is constituted of Swarup Shakti. So you have Maya Shakti, the Jiva Shakti. Maya Shakti means like material nature's influence. You have the Jiva Shakti, which is the self, and then you have the Swarup Shakti, which is what Bhakti is constituted. Which just like material nature makes our world go round. By its influences, um, so bhakti makes the lila of Krishna go round. So we're not constituted of Maya Shakti that we know. Neither we're constituted of the bhakti uh, of Sarup Shakti. We need the ingress that is the grace of Sarup Shakti. 
um, into our lives. So this, uh, for the jnani, hmm, then bhakti takes a form that empowers the sattva guna to do something that it cannot do on its own. Hmm? So that means a sattviki form of bhakti. Hmm? It's not that bhakti becomes sattvic or uh, becomes part of the world, but it empowers an aspect, a power of the world, to uh, in a way that it exceeds its own power unto itself. And so a sattviki form of bhakti comes, and then the the the, 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 the jiva mukti can, can attain videha mukti, and, and and for example, um, uh, enter into Brahman, hmm? land of, uh, of, of 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 no return. Who who will return where? Uh, that's Brahman. Uh, so, or or in yoga, then same yoga can attain identification with uh, with Ishvar, Paramatma, or in Vaidhi Bhakti. Of course, this is different now. Now we're coming from mixed forms of Bhakti, like Karma Mishra Bhakti, Gyan Mishra Bhakti, hmm? um, Yoga Mishra Bhakti. So again, I said there are many kinds of bhakti. So there's, just to give you an example, there's yoga mishra bhakti and there's mishra yoga bhakti. There's bhakti mishra yoga and bhakti mishra yoga and yoga mishra bhakti. So when it's yoga mishra, mishra means mixed. When it's yoga mishra bhakti, when it's bhakti mixed with yoga, the emphasis is on bhakti rather than yoga. So there's a greater um, degree or influence of bhakti in that case than, than there is in bhakti mishra yoga, which where yoga is the main thing and bhakti is mixed in. So you're going to get different results, all depending on the measure or the extent to which your practice is is influenced from, from that side, right? Hmm? Uh, you get a visa to go to different departments, if you will, in transcendence. Um, so you have karma measure bhakti, and you have bhakti measure karma. You have gyan measure bhakti, and bhakti measure gyan. This is just that's just six different kinds. There's quite a few other types um, as well. Um, but um, wherever the bhakti is, then you have this uh, efficacy, this power hmm, that. Um, that uh, um, uh, arises from outside of the predicament hmm, of material existence, and then that, and thus it has it, it is the power to resolve the 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 the, the, the problem of material existence. Hmm. So, um, in our school, then, what's advocated in the context of explaining different types of bhakti. And the different uh, resultant destinations, and so on and so forth. Um, Rupa Goswami has um, uh, explained what he calls Uttam Bhakti, Ananya Bhakti, Shuddha Bhakti. Um, these are uh, different words for the same um, uh, same thing. Hmm? Uttam, uttam means like topmost. So shuddha means pure. Anani means unalloyed, not mixed with anything else. Hmm? 
and within unmixed bhakti, not mixed with karma, jnana yoga, jnana karmadi, anavritam, anukulena krishnanushilam bhaktiruttam. This is his core definition in his book, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, that the whole book um, unfolds out of. So this uttam bhakti, there are a couple of divisions within uttam bhakti. There's uttam bhakti of the dutiful type hmm, that's driven to some extent by the motive of of wanting to avoid the problems of material existence, therefore I take up bhakti. Hmm? Um, and to and to and to attain the prospect that uh, is derived from bhakti. Hmm? Um, it's kind of like I'm doing bhakti because I've learned about it and I realized I should be doing this. Hmm? So dutiful in this sense. And then there is bhakti that's that's not in consideration. This it's an, it ha, it's devoid of any calculation. There's a calculation involved there. This should be done, therefore I should do it. Hmm? I should worship God, and so I should do it like and so forth. In in rag bhakti, the other division, and there's no calculation involved. Hmm? And the way that this is illustrated to the extreme is that the object of this rag bhakti in the full sense of the term is Krishna who is um, interacted with in ways that it's apparent that they don't they don't they don't th- think of him as God which you wouldn't interact in ways which you wouldn't interact with God hmm? in, in uh, as a buddy you know or he's God I mean for God's sake you do you if you know, like I've said before, you're sitting next to God, the, the infinite, you, you might step back a little bit and say, oh my God. So his Godhood has to be obscured for, for the sake of intimacy. And the power that causes that obscuration uh, and, 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 and that um, suppresses his majesty, that is, the, that is the bhakti itself. So this is ultimately... The kind of bhakti that Rupa Goswami is advocating in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, his tome on bhakti, there's no other book written about bhakti that could possibly compare to it. The only thing that that could be compared to it, and he defers to it, is Narad Bhakti Sutras, which is a much earlier work, but it's a very um, kind of a skeleton, if you will, of what has been. Uh, fleshed out, if you, if you will, by Rupa Goswami in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. It's an incredible uh, work. So, really, if you, you know, you want to know about bhakti, there's, there's, there's no other book in existence to turn to that more comprehensively goes through the, the, the subject in terms of bhakti, uttam bhakti, as, as a practice, uttam bhakti, that, that is uh, performed with the with the senses that has an, that uh, the active component of bhakti bhava bhakti hmm? the, the the culmination of that practice where the emotive aspect of bhakti is kicks in and then drives the, any further physical action then prem bhakti so these are the, the, the perfection bhakti in practice bhakti in ecstasy Bhakti in, in in love of God. These are divisions within uttam bhakti. So you can be an uttam bhakta uh, and and be a pr- practitioner. 
because you're, this is your orientation, this is your idea. I have this as my ideal. I don't have mixed bhakti and a corresponding ideal as something that I entertain. I entertain the, uh, the ideal, the goal, that corresponds with uttam bhakti. I may not be an uttam bhakta in the full sense of realization, but I am. That's why Prabhupada said, all, all, sometimes said, all my devotees are, are pure devotees. And we'd say, really? That guy too? She too? I know I was, but <laughs> no. <laughs> so we had to watch out for those guys, right? We used to call it the pure devotee disease, right? So, so, but what he's saying—that's why you know—it's important to read Prabhupada's books, and then, which would, which is the natural progression, and what I'm going to talk about is the fact that Prabhupada, in a pioneering way brought out translations of core texts like Chaitanya Charitamrita, Srimad Bhagavatam, Nectar of Devotion, his book on Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Bhagavad Gita, and so forth. And of course, in doing that, he's drawing on a huge uh, hundreds of years and even thousands of years, hundreds of years of tradition, which in turn drew on a tradition of thousands of years of commentary on on, on revelation, on the sacred texts. Hmm? And so... It, the natural uh, progression, if you will, of his dispensation, Prabhupada's extraordinary uh, and broad dispensation, bringing bhakti to other continents and and so on and so forth, kind of fulfilling really the prophecy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that his name would be heard in every every town and village, is or extraordinary um, uh, contribution. The natural progression to that is that. Um, those touched by that dive through his books deeper into the tradition that he is surfacing out of, as if, as if out of nowhere. But of course, he always said Guru Parampara and you know, so on and so forth. They had this chain of gurus and teachers that I come through, and so the, the natural progression is 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 to go into the books, which take you into the tradition its history, its literary, um, um, its canon, its scriptural canon, the many, many books and so forth and so on. Uh, and so, uh, which his books, his commentary refers to, and then you go to those books and you find there's commentaries and all of a sudden you're, you're a Gaudiya Vaishnava, you're fluent in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. You're like, uh, that's that's the natural um uh, progression, hmm? right? Hmm. It's an important point as an aside because some people kind of miss that point and think, well, who cares what happened before? This has happened now, and you know, it's a modern time, and Prabhupada did this, and we just stop there and so forth. But that that's not properly understanding what would. Uh, I uh, used to think when I was younger, I thought if everybody in America became Krishna conscious, we would we, we, we would we would we would get to preach against Varnashram. You know. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> a lot easier, in, in, a, in a sense. But there'd be still so much uh, work work to be done. Because, uh, so, at any rate, so, uh, we are part of a whole uh, uh, tradition. And, um, what was this? Anyway, so Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, this is the really definitive text on on, on bhakti, there's a bhakti sandarbha of Jiva Goswami, which would be also um, 
very um, important. He's a disciple of Rupa Goswami, Jiva Goswami, so he has uh, elaborated in to some extent on bhakti there, following the lead of Rupa Goswami. But these these books are really um, definitive texts, and they are. Um, that's why I was saying bhakti is such this uttam bhakti that you can be a sadhaka of uttam bhakti or you can be a siddha of uttam bhakti and different stages of siddha in bhava and prema and so again I was giving an example perhaps that all my disciples are a pure devotees so to figure that out you've got to look further back Prabhupada said all my devotees are pure devotees stop right there, there it is everybody's pure, I mean you can't stop there you've got to say what is he saying? What is it? What does it mean? That that doesn't seem like. I didn't think I was pure. Uh, so how can that be? He's got to be right, but he can't be. But <laughs> so then you have to look back and you and you and you understand what is uttam bhakti. Hmm? And first you think uttam bhakti means oh you can't have any material desire, otherwise you can't be. Then you find oh there's a there's a sadaka form, a sadhana form of uttam bhakti, hmm? right? Uttam bhakti in practice. That's what he's talking about because this is your goal. So you're not on the path of mixed bhakti. You're not on the path pursuing the goals of gyan mishra bhakti, gyan bhakti mishra gyan, or yoga mishra bhakti, kama mishra bhakti. Those aren't your ideals. That's why it's important to talk about the goal sometimes. We can't just put that off hmm? because the goal corresponds with the practice. So the practice makes perfect, right? So, um, what you do in the sadhana stage will determine what your sadhya is. Now, I've given an example before many times. So, if you go to the mall and you want to go to room 108, there's two things that you find out when you look on the map. You find 108 room is like way up there. And you also find, and you are here. You find both things. And then you know, oh, I'm here, it's there, okay, now I have to go step by step, and I have to focus on the next step. With that in mind, where I'm going, I have to look down at my feet and make sure each one follows after the other. And every now and then look at the map again. Okay, I'm going the right way. Keep looking at the map. Something like that. So it's important, very important to uh, to know the goal. It's not like we, we give the Sambandagyan every day and we don't talk about the Prayojan, the goal. Hmm? No, that has to be brought out as well. And as we do, then some attraction for the goal with some specificity will will come, and then that will really inform our our practice, fuel our practice, hmm? um, instead of just in some generic way. I'm just doing bhakti. Whatever happens, it's going to be good. <laughs> Something like that. If so, so uh, all these things are important, hmm? and so this anyway is. I, th- I think, yes, bhakti is, uh, you asked, does it belong to us, something like that. Uh, I would say, you know, um, we are uttam bhaktas, hmm? and there are other forms of bhakti, and uh, um, and if we turn to Rupa Goswami, to Jiva Goswami, we really can get a very um, definitive explanation that, that can distinguish, you know, this is important, bhakti from just effort that is it may be defined as you know devotion he's devoted to his music to his to his trade that's that's an important point um that it's coming from the other side hmm. it's another shakti 
mm. altogether. That's why there's a difference between love and, 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 and lust. Hmm? They're different. They may look similar. Hmm? And our, as long as we're attached to the body-mind complex, then, then we're going to be on the take. We, we can't be fully givers because it's taking. It's making demands. and We're identified with it. So we're driven by those demands. Hmm? So, so it, it may look like love, for example, of God, but it's actually something else. Bhakti is now another Shakti from the from the other side altogether. Hmm? Um, that's another subject where where there may be some crossover between Kama, Kama and Bhakti in this world. But I'll take your question. Um, as a follow up to what you just said, would it be accurate to distill down the various ways of uh, interpreting? bhakti as a term, would it be accurate to say that it's essentially all about the rela- a relationship to grace and that according to, you know, how you explain, you were explaining that there's so many relationships to grace. And being able to well, I wouldn't call it a relationship to grace. I would say it is the grace. It is a dispensation of grace. From that side, I mean, so. I mean to, to say that to say that someone is engaging it or, or trying to do it or has it or whatever. By at the beginning, at least, wouldn't it be okay to say you start out by essentially discovering what grace is and, and developing a desire to, you know, to attract yeah. it. To right, right, yeah, yeah. In that sense, yes. Okay, that's right. do you want to follow up there? From your question. Um, it's, uh, just to, to summarize, to give a grasp of what you're saying. So I, I heard influence, orientation, and path. So, um, in other words, bhakti is, is everywhere in the world and in many uh, different traditions. Um, and you had one time said that. Let's put it like this, then. There's. Uh, karma is everywhere in the world, the force of karma. It's driving the whole world, right? And the world has no beginning. So, right? Bhutpa, Bhutpa, It comes and goes, comes and goes, with no beginning to that coming and going. So there's always karma in the world. You can't have a world without karma, material world. You can't have a material Karma is the glue that, that binds together the atma, the, the soul, the self, and matter. No, these two there's a binding force it's called karma so the whole world is is driven by that that said so you can't have a world material world without karma there's no beginning to the world cycle so there's no beginning to karma it's uh, anadi karma it's a term used so that said there's also another force in the world that's bhakti another influence in the world bhakti is always in the world it's in it, it manifests in the form of sadhu sangha and there's no there's no beginning to that if there's no beginning to the world you see vishnu you know dreams the world so to speak right hmm? uh goes to sleep and then get, gets tired of it goes to sleep wakes up and tries again something like that so the world is coming and going like the breath of vishnu and with the outgoing breath if you will that uh Metaphorically speaking, the wor- by which the world becomes manifest, it, 
Vishnu enters into it as well, in the form of the Veda, in the form of uh, sadhus. And so there's always sadhakas in the world, and there's always sadhus, so there's always bhakti. Hmm? Now, karma's all pervasive. Bhakti's not all pervasive, but its influence is there in the world to come in touch with. I'm sorry, go ahead. And how we come in touch with it is not by the influence of karma. So it has its own trajectory, its own influence, and we may come in touch with it without even knowing we come in touch with it. And that's a good you know, beginning, even unknowingly. Hmm. So in all the traditions, or many of the traditions, you have an understanding of, 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 that God has a name and it's holy, it's sacred. Yeah. And you said how... Lord Chaitanya specifically, though, made a theology, a whole theology of the Holy Name. Yeah. So would it be fair to say that um, the, the, the Vaishnava's understanding of bhakti, as you described yeah. in the scripture, is a, a very focused and comprehensive, deep uh, description and path for following bhakti and yeah. bhakti. Yeah, it's a good, a good analogy, just like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu made a whole dharma out of the chanting the name, while everyone says that, that the, the Jewish people say the name is so holy that you, you shouldn't say it. And the Islamic faith, I think, have 99 names that they chant on, on beads. And, and in Christianity, the, the word was one, and so the word means the name of God, and so forth. So there's this uh, sense throughout the traditions that, the, that there's a sacred logos, right? Hmm? A name is, I guess logos means name, and it must mean like logic. So there's some, there's some the implication being that there's some philosophy that, under, that this, uh, underlies it. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was extracting that. And so the, the Nam Dharma, a whole Dharma uh, about, that, based on this principle that there's a sacred sound that represents God, and we're going to contact the Godhead through that sound so we're going to exploit that and understand the, all the implications of it. So that's similar with bhakti. Bhakti, the influence of bhakti is in the world. We find it in different traditions to one extent or another. But in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, within Vaishnavism in general and then within that, within Gaudiya Vaishnavism, within that, we've, we've, we've really kind of uh, acknowledged that and so we've we realize grace is required, so let's just go wholly there, <laughs> completely there, something like that, and make a theology that is, well, that is, in word, in two words, that's our whole theology. What are the two words? Jai Radhe. So that's what we, so that's what we say. There's another name there besides Krishna's, and it's Bhakti. <laughs> so, does that help? Yeah. Let's take another question. So I heard and I say that the world is friendly. The environment is friendly. At what stage that's realized, and before it's realized, if it's helpful to meditate on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's. To you know, to be able to uh, um, place the pictures of those who would be thought of as enemies 
on your altar and worship them, it requires a little advancement. Um, but they are agents that are agency through which help is coming, and as much as they teach us how not to be in such a prominent way, right in your face uh, at times. And so if we can, you know, learn a lesson and we're really a student, then we are really eager to learn anywhere and everywhere. There's no ego in it. I just wanted to know hmm, the right way and so forth. Then and we, we then, then the devotee, Ajata Shatavari, has no enemy. It doesn't see like that. So this is kind of an example of what we're, what we're talking about. People are, um, have some residue of karma that's resolving itself, hmm? and these people are the agency. So, great, thank you, something like that. So that's uh, easier said than done, is basically what, what you're saying, perhaps. Um, true. And, and while, in one sense, that is a mandate for tolerance, right? Um, as we're talking about it, it doesn't sound like tolerance because it's it's it, it, there's, there's no pain involved in it. But underneath it is there is some tolerance. So it's a kind of a higher form of tolerance. A lower form of tolerance is Krishna says in the Gita, you tolerate heat, cold, happiness, distress. In some measure, you have to do that in this world. And just stop trying to fix everything, adjust everything, and tweak everything all the time. Some, and know that it arises from the mind. These are just concepts. Hot, cold, good, bad, happy, sad. Uh, um, transcend these judgments. They arise from the senses and the mind. So this is kind of a tolerance in practice, if you will. Um, and then there's tolerance in, in the, in the, when we're, we're talking about it. Uh, where they see the whole environment as friendly, and it, it it arises out of that tolerance, but then as it manifests, it doesn't feel like tolerance, so to speak. So it's more for it's more superlative kind of perspective, perspective of a superlative devotee. Now, there's value in understanding the perspective of the superlative devotee and trying to apply ourselves to it as much as possible. But we have to understand that we're not, if we're not a superlative devotee, we can't always act like the superlative devotee. And so, along with the mandate for tolerance, is also a mandate to create, a, for example, a favorable situation for your practice. Hmm? So, that is now some license to make some adjustment. Okay? Hmm? In one sense, we're not supposed to just try to tweak the situation all the time because it's it, it is what it is and and however you tweak it there's going to be another problem and so some measure of tolerance is required but also again as i often say we are also told you have to create a favorable environment for your practice hmm? and then tolerate within that i have some f friends of mine old friends that i've met over the years at different occasions who said you know swami you should really come back and join such and such organization because it would really be an, give you an opportunity to tolerate so many, you know, and grow. I said, I don't need any extra, you know. <laughs> I got plenty of things to tolerate as it is. I don't need to, you know, <laughs> trying to create a favorable environment and tolerate within the context of that. So um, it's a little bit, you know, sadhana is an art. It has to be done artfully. So you can't just take one one side and and, and say. Okay, I should tolerate. Therefore, 
I'm in an intolerable situation that I don't have to be in. It's not conducive for my bhakti, but scripture says you should tolerate. So this is not artful practice. Hmm? It's not sadhana. Sadhana is not for like stupid people. It's an art. It's a skill. So there's skill to practice. If you want to, uh, here's the task. In one sense, you have to, uh, you know, uh, you have the problem of the mind. So how you 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 going to work against the mind, or is there a way that you could work kind of with the mind and co-opt, you know, the mind, so to speak? And so this is art. If you just want to work against the mind, you, you, you're probably going to be defeated. But there's ways that you can work with it, and you, you, know, you can go in the back door also, and, and, and so forth. So this is, it's a skill. Sadhana is a skill. You have to have a good understanding through good association and teaching. And then uh, and what happens so many times is they don't, you don't, sadhakas don't, and they just apply some, some mandate over here. They don't understand it in context, and, and it's not working for them, and so forth. So, hmm. so yes, it's a good question, and it, and it, it does have to do with uh, skillful um, practice. And so I think the answer to your question is that those ideals should be um, um, embraced as ideals, understood practically, and with some measure, uh, according to our position, we... we, we try to put them in, in practice, but not to an extent that it's self-defeating and our practice is diminished uh, by it and uh, we become discouraged or something like that. Does that help? Yeah. Okay. That's Kishore. He's always gravitating toward the Mahabhava perspective. It's a good good quality. Yes. Um, can you explain the fourth verse from your Mongolia Karma? I believe maybe it's a verse that Oh, uh, that's a long story. What time is it now? It's a quarter to one. So I, I think that would we'll have to do that another t- another time. Yes. If this is too long, you can tell me. But I had a question from yesterday. Huh. You said something about ayur harati. Yeah. That's like how we see things. Ayur harati. It's a verse from the Bhagavatam, right. and it says that the. With the rising and the setting of the sun, ayur harati, one's ayur, one's life is being taken away. That's what it means. Yeah, ayur harati for everyone, except it says tasyarti achanonitya uttamasloka except one who is talking about it, Krishna. Hmm. So that gives life. This is life giving, right? This is the uh, what do they call it? Rasayana. Alright, so I think we've talked a long time. We stopped there. Shri Gauri Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai, Radha Govinda ki jai, Gaurna ki jai, Ram Govinda ki jai, Bhol Premanande, Vanchakalpatu Vyascha, Kibasindu Vyavacha, Patitanam Bhavani Vyavacha. Nanta Koti Vaishnava Ji Jai.